Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, thanks, as always, for hanging out with us. We really do appreciate it. Hey, one of the best ways, if you like the show, uh, one of the best ways you can help us out is just by letting someone else know. Maybe you know of another speaker, someone that's interested in speaking, someone that you talk to regularly and compare notes and talk shop on speaking. Uh, just let them know. Hey, if you haven't checked out the Speaker Lab, make sure you do that. Would you do that? Would you text them? Just text them right now. Pause the show. Text a friend. Let them know you need to listen to this. Did you do it? I'll wait. I'm not going anywhere. Just pop, come on. Okay. All right. Do it later. Some of you did it, and I'm proud of you. Uh, wherever you are, whatever you're up to, we really do appreciate you hanging out with us. We've got a great guest for you today. We've got my friend Clay A. Bear. Hey, Clay, hang out with us way back on episode five, way back in single digits, way back in the archives. And uh, he's back again joining us today. Had a lot of fun in this conversation. Talk about a wide variety of different subjects and topics for speakers. One of the main things we discussed was. Uh, you're interested in speaking, you've got a topic, you've got an idea, you've got an audience. How do you figure out if it's an audience or a market that you can actually get paid for uh, versus something that you're just kind of doing uh, out of the goodness of your heart? I'm assuming because you want to speak, you also probably want to get paid. So how do you make sure that there's an alignment there? Because just because you're passionate about a topic doesn't mean that audiences pay for that. So how do you figure that out ahead of time? So we talked that through, uh, plus much, much more. So uh, let's jump right into this conversation with Clay Bear. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my buddy Clay A. Bear. Clay, I was looking here. We've had you on the show. It was episode five. Episode like five. Single digits. We got to go way back in the archives here. You were one of the OGs, and uh, so we were. We, we still keep up, uh, keep in touch from time to time. And I was like, has it really been that long? We got to have you back for anything. So uh, thanks for thanks for making the time and hanging back. Of course, out. man. It's always great chatting with you. What are you, What are you up to these days? What are you, What's new and exciting for you? Doing a lot of speaking on the perfect intro and then building a brand called Take Back Perfect, which is perfect intro, perfect brand, perfect calendar. So they all do a little bit different things, but I think we should, I think we should take back perfect. I think uh, perfect gets kind of a bad rap on social media nowadays, but we have perfect sunset, the perfect meal all the time. So I'm all about take back perfect. Now people can't see you right now. We're on audio, but I can see you via video. And I'm looking at on my other screen here, I've got your profile picture from episode five, which was a couple years ago. It's a much younger Clay A. Bear there than what I'm looking <laughs> at right now. So uh, yeah, it's okay. It's still yeah. the silver fox though. So you're uh, well. All right. So for people who aren't aware or not familiar with you, give us a quick nutshell. You mentioned that you, you do some speaking. You also do some consulting. Uh, what, what does your business look like today? Yeah. So the main thing is the perfect intro. So I do keynotes and workshops on that. What the perfect intro is, is a better way to answer the question, so what do you do? We get asked that question all the time. People like us get asked that question three times a day in person on average. Now, 
some days we don't leave the house, but then some days we go to conferences and meet 20 people. So it averages out to about three people per day. That's a thousand people per year. That's a thousand opportunities to tell our story, to explain what we do. And yet when we ask, get asked that important question, so what do you do? We come up with a unique answer on the spot and it doesn't serve us and we stammer and stumble. So I call it our most frequent mistake for people like us is answering that question poorly. So I, it started by accident and, and you, know, you can find the talk online, but I learned a better way to answer that question. So what do you do? And now I teach that to people. And it's really my way to get in the door to have a bigger conversation about telling the story about the work you do, being confident about what you do, your identity, are you even doing the kind of work you want to be doing, that kind of thing. Because what I find sometimes is when people poorly answer the question, so what do you do? It's because they don't want to be doing that thing in the first place. So they're either embarrassed by it. So it gets into some storytelling and identity work. And, and that, that's what created this third offering called the Perfect Calendar, which is I do with private clients and companies is what was your best day of work last year? What was your worst day of work last year? And just really aligning people more with the work they want to do. But I base it in a pretty simple framework about the calendar, right? What do you, if I sat down with you, Grant, and said, what do you want to do once a year? What do you want to do once a quarter? You know, you could say, oh, well, once a year, we take the family to Disneyland, like you mentioned you're, you're doing. And you kind of fill it all up. And, and then I just guide that client through that exercise and say, okay, if this was your calendar, work and play, would you be happy? Because I think we make, it's, it's a way to choose your next move. We make decisions based on customers, revenue, profit, right? We do the revenue modeling and all that other stuff, sometimes without thinking of, does this give me the calendar that I want, that I want to do? Yeah. It just kind of reverse engineering and working backwards of, all right, let's play this out. If this did work, exactly. uh, is this the kind of life that you want to end up at? Exactly. That's cool. I love it. Yeah. All right. So one of the things that we were talking about a little bit ahead of time is the challenge that a lot of speakers run into in terms of figuring out who they speak to, what they speak about. And oftentimes for a lot of speakers who are listening, who are either in the early stages or brand new of just like, I just love speaking. I want to be a speaker. I want to do more speaking. Not really sure what to do next. So that's where they, they come to the speaker lab. But one of the challenges is taking, here's what I'm interested in talking about. Here's what I'm passionate about. Here's what I care about. And figuring out, is there actually a market for that? Is this actually a thing? Because just because you're passionate about something, just because you care about it, doesn't necessarily mean that other people care about it enough to pay you for it. Or maybe other people care about it, but there's just not a lot of speaking opportunities specifically around that subject or that nature for that audience. So what are some thought processes that you have or just some ideas that you have in terms of, I've got this idea, I've got this concept, and now I'm trying to just validate it in the marketplace and figuring out, can I actually get paid to talk about this certain subject or topic? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tee up. And the get paid to talk about that is, is a really interesting way to look at it because I have this grid, but before we get into the grid, the first thing I help speakers with is, do you want to get a check for the actual talk? Do you want to do your keynote and get a check for doing your keynote or doing, doing a talk or doing a breakout or a workshop? Or, and there's a little bit of overlap in this world. You and I know that there's some overlap, but in general, it's helpful to think about it as completely differently. There's other places where you don't get the check for the actual talk, but you get a chance to be on an important, valuable stage with your ideal customers in the audience, and you might sell a program. Now, as you and I know, you know, to get paid five or ten thousand dollars for a speech is doing really, really well, and then you get it to the rarefied air of fifteen, twenty, and and up, and you know, from there. But that's that's real, legit, professional, professional speakers. Someone else might be a pretty good speaker, but they might have an offering of a $10,000, you 
you know, mastermind. And if they sell five of those to an audience of 500, so a 1% conversion rate, you know, they just made a lot more money than they would make as a keynote fee. So first step is decide if you're the kind of speaker who now from our ego, of course, often it feels like we want to get a check for our talk. But this leads into the next part, which is what kind of talks people actually pay for. Because those two worlds are very different. The types of conferences and everything else are very different. I think one place where you and I do is, you know, these associations. These, there's an association for everything. The, you know, I think last time I was on here years ago, we talked about the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association. My first paid gig was the guys that sell faucets. The last year I spoke to the American Association of Cost Estimators. I didn't even know what it was. I had to Google it and research, <laughs> you know, in every company before right. you build. Well, you're going to Disney soon. So yeah. one of the other guys there was Justin Newton, who does cost estimating for Disney. So okay. the before he builds the Death Star ride at Disney, someone has to map it all out in a spreadsheet and say, hey, is this going to make us money, right? From the first shovel to the first ticket sold and revenue yeah. projections and everything else. So there's an association for that. Typically, these associations pay speakers for their actual talk because nobody brags to their friend about speaking to the American Association of Cost Estimators or the American Association of Parking Lot Pavers or whatever, right? Right. That said, there's conferences like TED.com. Guess what? TED doesn't pay speakers because if you do a great TED talk, it will change your career, even if you don't get paid for the talk, right? right? And so what I often tell people is we think about speaking and stages as this whole wide thing. I put a big, intentionally put a big divider down the middle, which says over here in this elevator, you're getting a check for your actual talk and therefore likely the title of that conference. It's probably not the cool conference where you want to hang out with all, like, all your entrepreneurial friends, right? And over here, you have conferences that you might are really exciting. They look good on a resume, you know, conferences like TED and Mastermind Talks and things like that. And those are brand builders. Those are, if you choose them correctly, you're not going to get a check for your talk, but either what it does, you know, you might sell an offer or have something on stage. Now, there's a whole other world where, where you know, that can be overdone and there's events where it's nothing but a pitch fest and everything else. I think because of that, that world has, has kind of been thrown out. But first is, is, do you want to get paid for the talk? And, or are you okay not getting paid for the talk? And either it's going to build your brand, something like Ted, or you're speaking to your ideal customer and you might make five sales. There's a little bit of overlap between those two worlds and there's ways to do text opt-ins and things like that. And we can, we can definitely dig into that if you want to. But in general, it's helpful to think about those as two different worlds. If you want to check for the talk, then it goes to this, this little grid that I have and we can created a download for the for the folks but essentially there's three entities that pay for speakers corporations associations like we talked about and educational institutions and i know you've done a ton of work in the educational market a long time ago so those three entities pay speakers beyond that i don't see men there's you know the occasional exception or outlier but in general most people who pay speakers fall into one of those three so corporations might be ibm or accenture or deloitte associations like we said there's an association and a trade publication for everything mm -hmm. and because they're typically not the sexiest conferences they tend to pay speakers and then you know you know way way more about the educational world than i do then so that's think of those across the top of the the sort of spreadsheet of the grid and then down the left hand side is what's your topic and what topics do those entities pay for so in the corporation world let's say in the corporation column obviously some of the big topics are sales leadership, marketing, innovation, 
things like that, right? And if you want the full, full list of this, there's not one, there's tons. But if you go to speakers, bureau, websites, and you sort by category, say what category are buyers buying from? Now they're going to list 30 categories, but it's much easier to get booked for sales, leadership, marketing, that, that kind of thing, culture, innovation. There's sort of an 80-20 there. Um, it's really hard. And, and this is where I struggle a little bit because I, I know people that teach speakers how to be great speakers and they often don't address the, well, before we refine your talk about when you got in a car accident, Julie, who's going to pay for that? What grid, essentially, which box in that grid, corporation, association, education, and then sales, marketing, leadership, which box does your got? Because I have no doubt that there's so many great people that can teach Julie how to make her car accident story into a great speech. It doesn't mean, and, and I think the big you know, untold secret in the industry is nobody pays for the car accident speech unless you, know, you really, really wrap a really interesting story around it. But I think there's a lot of people being sort of told and sold that whatever their topic is can be turned into a paid speech. Now, Again, if Julie has a mastermind for people recovering from accidents and trauma and all the work around that and everything else, and she says it's whatever dollars per month to join that, that's great. And that could turn into a way to get paid for that speech. But the American Association of Cost Estimators or IBM is not getting paid for Julie's car accident speech. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about a lot mm-hmm. with speakers and, and something that a lot of speakers come to us with of just, hey, I had this happen and it could be a car accident. Mm-hmm. It could be overcame cancer or I climbed Mount sure. Everest in my shorts, blindfolded yep. or, you know, went through a divorce or whatever. It could be any number of things, but the audience doesn't care and the event planner doesn't care. So people are always looking at it from the perspective of, that's great. You went through that. That's awesome. You accomplished that. That might get you a, a, like a slight foot in the door. But audiences and event planners want to know like, what's in it for me? Like, how does that help my audience? You know? Right. So there are absolutely people that, that get on stage that, you know, that can share kind of their overcoming obstacles story and it works, but it tends to be not the majority of people. Uh, no, no, no. Like and like Aaron Ralston, when he went hiking, right? I, I remember before I ever did any public speaking, I went to a Barnes and Noble and got my book signed by Aaron Ralston. He was the guy who went climbing and the boulder fell on his arm and you know, he had to cut off his own arm to save his life and everything else. Now, if your story is that extreme and you, know, you literally use your own jackknife to cut off your own arm to save your life and then you practice and become good, you know, Aaron built a, a decent little speaking career, but of course it peaks around the event and then the book and then a few years later, you know, 10, 12 years later, people care less about the guy who cut off his arm to save his life. He's still, he's still a great speaker, but it's sort of topical and interesting and it happened. Of course, there's, you know, there's folks who've done really cool things in the military and then that can turn into a speaking career and there's po- folks, but this kind of goes to what, what you and I have talked about lots of times offline, which is constantly while you're working on the craft of speaking, working on your personal brand. Right, right. And so how do you know, like if you've got, whether you've got a story or not, maybe it's just something like, I don't necessarily have a story, but here's a topic that I'm passionate about, or here's an audience that I care about. And I'm not really sure if it's a marketable thing. And maybe it's kind of, you know, some of the the kind of the grid that you outlined there, maybe Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking about kind of fits in some type of gray area where it kind of fits in there, it kind of doesn't, I'm not really sure if it would work or not. Is there any way to kind of validate ahead of time versus like I spent a bunch of time on a website and a bunch of money on a demo video and all this stuff on this topic only to go out in the marketplace and find out that's not a thing 
and it's nothing that people actually care about. So is there any validation that we can do ahead of time before we head out to the marketplace? Yeah, and I know you, absolutely, that's a great question. Yeah, I know you know a lot of event planners and I would have discussions around that, which is before I would build too much as far as a website or reel, I would talk to the people who you know, are the intermediaries, the event planners and bureaus and things like that that book speakers and say, this is my topic. First of all, I would teach it a bunch of times, right? We, I think on episode five, when we, we talked, we said most, most speakers don't have enough at-bats. And I call an at-bat a real live talk in front of an audience with at least five strangers, right? It's great to do it in front of your stuffed animals and your mom or your girlfriend, but you got to have at least five strangers. I call that an at-bat. And most speakers I know just simply don't have enough at-bats. So yeah. go give it at your local chamber of commerce. Go give it at, we, we, we sort of talk about free speeches in, in the industry. And, and, you know, a lot of our friends and peers complain about, oh, well, they didn't want to pay. But there's a whole lot of people who should snap up those paid gigs as a great at-bat, right? You and I are both sports fans, but we love watching football. But we don't think, oh, you know what? I could probably step out there with <laughs> Green Bay Packers on Sunday. And, and yet in, in the speaking world, I think a lot of people see that and they say, oh, because it's standing on stage and it's not dangerous like football, I'm, I could walk out there and be a pro. The at-bats thing is a great way to do it. And then I would talk to event planners and say, hey, this is my, you know, let's go back to our example. Let's say it's Julie and her car crash story. The event planner might say, well, if you can talk about how it's a story of resilience or how it's a story of the importance of preparation and because you put your seatbelt on and bought a safe car and everything else that you were okay, maybe there's an angle there. But I would say go to the top speakers bureau's websites and if it doesn't fit into any of those categories and corporations and associations don't pay for your topic, then the other thing might be, you know what, I'm not going to get a check for the speech. I'm going to go back to column B and I'm going to develop a great speech around this and then have a different, a different offering or a different way to get paid, which is completely fine. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's... I was, tell, I was talking to a friend the other day and trying to explain this, this kind of similar concept. And you know I do consulting with big brands. But if you look across the Fortune 500, some of them hire consultants. Others do not hire consultants. Just, just, it's just part of their culture and who they are. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it for me to try to convince the ones who don't hire consultants to hire me. It's a lot easier to go fish in the pond of people that literally hire consultants all the time. And so you can't convince people who don't pay for a certain topic of speech. It's, you, I mean, you might get there, but it's much, much harder. It's easier to fit into something they already know. One of the things I learned from Seth Godin is it's much easier to sell someone something that they bought exactly something like that before. Right. I say that to speakers all the time. It's much easier to get booked by an event or an organization that's already planning on hiring a speaker mm-hmm. versus trying to convince them that you should hire a speaker. Like that's, you got to fight two battles there. I got to convince them that they need a speaker and I got to convince them why I'm the speaker versus yeah. like most conferences and events, they're already planning on hiring a speaker. Like you don't have to convince them to hire a speaker. You're just showing them why you're, you're a good fit. One of the other things I'm curious about then is what about for the speaker who, you know, let's take this hypothetical Julie and she's got some type of overcoming obstacle story. And it turns out she's got a, you know, not necessarily a super unique story, but she's an amazing storyteller and she's an amazing speaker and it works, right? But she's got this kind of topic that's more of a, and it's kind of this inspirational, motivational thing that could really fit into a variety of different buckets, you know? Is there anything that speakers should be thinking through or be aware of so that they're not just kind of this generic, like, yeah, I speak to everybody on this kind of, you know, nebulous, inspirational topic idea. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's really for, kind of feels for nobody uh, versus saying like, no, no, like I'm going to double down on this. There's the audience. Here's the specific topic. And it's like, uh, like the example we always use is the difference between 
a buffet and a steakhouse. You know, mm-hmm. you can get a steak at a buffet, but like, it's probably not going to be that good. And it's one of right. the other things that they offer versus like, if you want a good steak, you go to the steakhouse and like, they don't do lasagna and they don't do tacos and they don't do pizza and they don't do all these other things, but they do this one thing really, really well. So how do you, if you've got this topic or, or the story that's just kind of, and again, it's kind of squishy, vague, inspirational, how do you figure out what lane to best put that in and to, to stay there? Sure, sure, absolutely. I think there's a two-phase thing. Phase one is making sure that you're you know, targeting your topic to the right folks, but this is kind of a perfect lead into the conversation I want to talk about around personal branding, which is, and, and I can say this because I'm, you know, everything I've learned, I've made every mistake you know, multiple times. 12 years ago, I was speaking at places like Blog World, X, New Media Expo and Blog World and places like that. I thought the best way to make the event organizer happy and the person that reached out to me was to ask them what topic they wanted and then customize that topic. And I was good enough on the fly to, in, in a month, create a good topic. It was in the world of social media. Nobody knew how to use Twitter. And so I said, do you want me to do a talk on social media ROI? And they sort of shrugged and they weren't super excited, but they said, yeah, sure, that fits in our curriculum. Yeah. What I didn't know at that point is I had already lost at that point because sure, I developed a talk, I gave it, it was maybe a B or B plus because no talk can be an A plus the first time you give it. As you know, the talks only get good yep. fifth or 10th or 50th time you give it, hence the at-bats. But instead of, I, I shouldn't have asked them what they wanted me to speak on. I should have been known for a topic, right? If you look at, let's say, Seth Godin during that same era, he was known for the tribes talk. And if you call Seth Godin's office or email him and want to talk, he said, yep, I'm giving the tribes talk and you're probably going to buy 300 books or whatever. Being known for a talk and having them, you know, and again, this takes time, but I also feel like people are always, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic might be the wrong analogy, but we're always running around trying to get the one talk and we're not building the bricks in the wall of our personal brand to be known for something. So I made that mistake for years. And then once I saw that perfect intro was a topic that can be booked. Now, perfect intro is not in the grid if you go down sales, marketing, leadership. But what I've done is because it's a very specific problem, people could ask, so what do you do all yep. the time? My part of it, and we, we could talk about how to craft this is, what's your pitch to the executive? What's in it for them? What helps them and their company? So my pitch is super simple. We can go through it. If let's pretend you were evaluating me to come speak yep. at your sales keynote. I say, well, that's interesting, Grant. You know, how many, how many people work for your company? Let's say you say a thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, we introduce ourselves a thousand times a day so that a thousand times a thousand is a million. So a million times a year, someone asks someone in your company, one of your employees, so what do you do? How well do you think they answer that question? And the executive usually says, not very well. And then I said, well, Grant, how well do you answer that question? <laughs> Talking to the executive or CEO and they say, not very well. And then I say, what if that's just in person, doesn't count digital website headline, social media, email signatures, all the other places we introduce ourselves. So the number is even bigger than a million. What if we could improve all that drastically in two hours? What would that be worth? Like, oh, that would be great. Then see, so, so even though perfect intro is not a line item on the grid, right. it's communication, leadership. It's really marketing, but marketing at the level of individual marketing for each person. So you can take your topic in that way. You just have to know, I, I think the question to ask is, you really have to move it off yourself and say, why is this important to them? Why is this important to the client? And then if, you know, for the people that have 
sort of more data, more research as you're looking at these conferences. What's their theme? Is their theme excitement? I just, I just spoke at a, a offsite for Verizon Media for 150 of their vice presidents. And the theme was about being bold and short and succinct. So my talk on perfect intro fit in really well, right? Not being full of buzzwords and things like that, being more bold. And so the way that I teach my intro is bold. So I was able to sort of position it that way. Very cool. So I think one of the challenges that a lot of speakers have is that uh, if, if we're supposed to be known for something and we have some ideas of what that could potentially be, it feels, um, it feels difficult to commit to whatever that thing is and to double down on that because we also feel like, well, I could do this, but I could, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, like I could do the perfect intro, but if I double down on perfect intro, that means maybe I'm not doing talks on social media, but I could do so- so- social media talks and I could do customer service talks and I could do leadership and I could do, you know, on and on and on it goes. And so we feel like I have to cast the net as far and wide as possible. And it's counterintuitive, but really the more narrow, the more focused it is, the easier it is for, for people to find you, to refer you, to want, to want to work with you. So what would you say to that speaker who's going, I have a buffet of options that I could choose from. And I recognize that if I try to market myself doing all of those things, that I'm going to get lost in the crowd. But I also recognize that if I, uh, how hard it is to pick just one lane that I'm going to to double down on, you know, so like, let's take us, for example, with what we do at the speaker lab, like we want to be known as, you know, the, the go-to resource for uh, how to find and book speaking gigs. Right. And now there's a lot of ancillary topics that we could get into. Those who are interested in speaking are probably also interested in writing a book mm-hmm. and coaching and consulting and maybe doing an online training program or doing, you know, corporate training. And there's a lot of other ways that we could justifiably go, but there's also massive value in saying, no, no I'm just going to double down on this. But I have to tell myself like, the opportunity cost is too great to try to chase all these other potential opportunities that may be good, legit opportunities. So all that to say, like for a speaker who's going, here's my topic, I'm going to double down on this topic. How do I know that it's the right one versus all the other options that I could pursue? Yeah, for sure. So I'll answer with one book and then one sort of, uh, you know me, I'm not super woo woo, but this is a really a philosophical thing, which is, so the book, highly rec- <clears throat> highly recommend everybody read it. It's called The Dip by Seth Godin. And it's about two things, being the best in the world. And it's a book about quitting and learning how to quit and what to quit. I'm a big Green Bay Packers fan. And the opening line is that Vince Lombardi was wrong about winners never quit and quitters never win. And then Seth makes a really good point to support that. He said, winners quit all the time. And that goes to what you're saying, which is our peers and, and speakers that, that you know are on the road a lot, on the circle a lot, get paid a lot. They quit a lot of things. They quit all those other things that they could have talked about. And I certainly specifically made this mistake for years, you know, starting 12, 13 years ago, because I would do social media ROI. You know how many times I've given the social media ROI talk? One at that blog world or whatever. (laughs) It wasn't my thing. It's not what I wrote the book on. It's not what I want to be known for. And so the philosophical part is they're playing it safe by wanting to speak on all these other things because they're hiding. Because they really don't, and this gets a little deep, but they really don't want to be successful speakers because successful speakers choose a topic and build a topic. Now we can talk about how to do that and how to validate and everything else, but anyone who, and then I have friends and clients and, and honestly some of our mutual friends who are still telling me that they have six different speaking topics and yet they haven't even been booked once for all six of those topics. It's like, no, choose a lane, get better. No talk is great until the 10th time you've given it. And the grid is, is how you choose that talk, right? How will this help the company? Where does it fit in? Who pays for those talks? If you're not sure and you're sort of just a beginning speaker and you're just starting, give the same talk three or four times and then 
improve your feedback process. Say, what did you learn? If you were to summarize this talk in one sentence, what would you say? One thing I always, you know, when I work with clients and speakers, I always say, I pushed that. I just did this the other day with, with a friend who's a, a former boxer. And he was talking about building a speech around the whole idea of get back up, right? Because what do boxers do is they get knocked down and they get back up. Mm-hmm. So the original place where we started the positioning was get back up. But that's not particularly unique. He didn't invent the quote of, you know, get knocked down seven times, get back up eight. So we spent a lot of time and we worked. And where we got to was this idea that pain is a gift. Similar topic and tangential, but very related to the boxing thing of pain is a gift. But that's what I call this phrase I call perfectly contrarian. When someone says something, you're like, oh, that's interesting. So like a good example is Simon Sinek. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And that tees up his start with why speech, right? Something that is a little bit contrarian. So the other thing I would push all of your listeners to do is, what is it about your topic that is new or different or interesting or a little bit to the edge? And so with him, it was pain as a gift. Well, as a headline, I'm like, what do you mean pain as a gift? Pain sounds terrible. I don't want to get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. But then it gives him the ability to architect the entire speech around all the different ways and places where pain is a gift. And then he has a really interesting wrinkle at the end talking about the one kind of pain that isn't a gift. So you got to find your thing. I, I think a lot of beginning speakers too, in the same way we hide by not choosing a topic, we also hide by making our topic too safe. We hide by trying to do something that fits in. I was talking to a, a friend the other day about she wanted to do a TEDx talk on authenticity. And I said, okay, cool. There's a hundred TEDx talks on authenticity. How is yours different? And initially where she started was, it sounded like it was going to be like every other authenticity song. I was like, cool, congratulations on your 578 views because that's what you're going to have after five years. I said, what if you took a totally different take coming at it from a different angle? Like why we get authenticity wrong is a better TEDx title or authenticity is BS, totally different angle. And then she can explain and still get to the same place. But this goes a little bit to, you know, talk titles and copywriting, but just like the press needs to know why you, why now, why is it different? Mm-hmm. So do event planners. If they're selling you to their boss, well, why is Clay's topic perfect intro? And I give them, so, so this is a really, I think, useful little nugget for your folks. When someone's booking you to speak, most of the folks listening to this, the person who's booking them's boss has no clue who they are. Yeah. And that's true for me. That's true for you. For the most part, until they're starting to call and say, I want Clay Bear, I want Grant Baldwin. But since they don't know who you are, the boss is saying, wait, who did we book for our opening keynote? Who did we book for our orientation? Who did we book for this, this association you know, launch? Well, we want to give the person who's booking us enough ammo. And that can be done via lots of different ways. This goes to the personal brand thing. It can be the you know, personal brand. Oh, here's... Grant's TEDx talk with a million views. Here's Clay's book. Here's Grant's book. Here's this. All the different bricks in the wall, the personal brand or social proof, testimonials, speaker reel, et cetera. If you can flip the feeling in the boss's head, the person who's cutting the check, not the person who's booking you from, I've never heard of this guy to how have I never heard of this guy? You win. Yeah. And so your job is to give the event planner. I, I think of it, I, you know, you play a little bit of poker so I think of it like having a big stack of poker chips and pushing them, going all in, right? Yeah. The boss says to the event planner, who is this guy? And you give the event planner enough chips to push all in and be like, 
this is who this guy is. And then yeah. and the boss says, oh, wow, then you win. You're going to get the gig every time. It reminds me, uh, I don't remember even where I heard this, but this is a total uh, side note, but your fee is in direct correlation to how long it takes someone to explain to their boss who you are. Bingo. So let's take that example of the event planners going to their boss. We're going to hire Clay A. Bear. Who's Clay A. Bear? How long it takes them to explain it is going to determine your fee. So if they go, if they go to their boss and say, we're going to hire Oprah, and it requires yeah. nothing, no other context, no nothing else. That means Oprah's fee is going to be astronomical. Versus if they say, we're going to find this guy. I came across him on Facebook and oh, yeah. you got to check out this video and hit la da da da. The longer they have to explain who you are, the more your fee drops. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And another shortcut in this world of thinking about what you want to build your personal brand on is this, the old quote, success leaves clues, right? Yeah. Go to Barnes & Noble. Who I always say, pick a proxy. Who is doing what you want to do? Who's about two to three years ahead of you? Yes. Who's got the gigs you want? Who's got the fee you want? That's like realistic. But if you hustle and do the right things and put the right pieces in place, who's getting the gigs? And that, that's what I've done literally for 10 years is say, who's two or three years ahead of me? I didn't say, oh, Seth Godin, and I'm going to jump to this you know, 10x my fee or whatever. But I'd say, who's, who's a couple of years ahead of me? And then I would work and do the things and make the reel and make the website and get those kind of gigs and get those kind of testimonials. Another thing you and I talk about a lot and you know, with Scott Stratton is the best way to get a gig is to kill a gig. Yeah. Meaning if the right people are in the audience, most of my gigs throughout the years, I would say, yeah, probably more than 50% are when I gave a talk and someone in the audience literally came up afterwards and said a version of, I want you to come give that to my people. Right, <laughs> they just right. saw it. The best commercial is the show and they just said, that's what my organization needs. And, you know, customize it a little bit to them, of course. But the hottest, best leads I've gotten over the years and the, and the best gigs have been literally just, I saw what you just did. Can you do it at Verizon in a month? Totally. Your best marketing is a great talk. And 100%. you think about every other area of life that that is true. Your favorite restaurant on the planet, you don't go there because the font on the menu is so pretty and perfect. Not because they ran a Facebook ad or... Yeah. yeah, like none of that stuff, like that stuff helps marginally but the the reason that you recommend it and you go back is because the food is just so dang good you know or, yeah. or whatever the, the product or service is so yeah ultimately that that is, is what can really move the needle so clay thanks for the time man we really appreciate it i'm sure we could uh, continue this conversation uh for many many hours but i want to be respectful of your time so if you want to find out more about you what you're up to uh where can we go clay com. How do you spell that? Because it's one of these names that you like. Sure. You see it's it, you French want to pronounce thing. it a whole bunch of names, a whole bunch of ways. So, of course, it's C L A Y, and then the last name is H E B is in boy E R T. It's pronounced. It's uh, spelled like Hebert, pronounced like a bear. Got it right. I'm proud of myself. You always right. You're one of the. You're one of my only friends who gets it right every time. I got about twelve of you guys that get it right every time, and you're one of them. It's the same. Jeff Goins. He told yes. me years ago. It rhymes with coins, and that's always just stuck with me. And I've heard his name pronounced Goins and so oh, many yeah. different versions of it. So I always try to remember. Uh, I'd say it's pronounced A like the letter, bear like the animal, like I was yeah. chased by a bear through the woods. Yeah, I got it. I nailed it. You're, you're, you're perfect. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Clay Bear. Again, make sure that you check out his work. Check out clayabear.com. And then, uh, hey, if you want our help in helping you build and grow your speaking business, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So definitely go to thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Thespeakerlab.com slash apply. There you can schedule a, uh, a free one-on-one uh, 
strategy session where we would love to have a conversation with you about your speaking business and uh, what we can do to work together, some of the different coaching programs that we offer to, to help you out. So check it out over at thespeakerlab.com slash apply. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. Catch you next time. You're awesome.